Welcome aboard to the Counter Vortex. Once again, with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, opening up with a couple of news clips from California on this podcast of December 21st, Winter Solstice 2019. Some grim stuff we're going to be talking about. First, this is from Street Sheet, the publication of the Coalition on Homelessness, Dateline, Redding, California. On November 19th, 2019, Mayor Julie Winter of Redding, California, sent a letter to Governor Gavin Newsom asking him to sign a state of emergency classification that would allow the city to create a mega shelter for homeless people that would essentially operate as a concentration camp. In an interview with Jefferson Public Radio that same week, Winter said, quote, it's not a facility that you could just leave because you wanted to. End quote. Although all other city council members signed the letter, when further interviewed, they were unaware of the comments that Mayor Winter had made and distanced themselves from her comments. Well, there's some good news. The proposed shelter has been met with strong resistance from unhoused folks and their advocates. In a report produced by the National Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty, the idea proposed in Reading was listed as one of the most egregious in the country. Eric Tars, legal director of the National Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty, questioned the legality of this solution. Yes, one hopes <clears throat> that its legality is going to be questioned. Locking people up against their will for the crime of being homeless? Excuse me, Redding? Excuse me, Mayor Winter? <clears throat> Another story this week from California, this from the Palm Springs Desert Sun. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, has entered into long-term contracts worth billions of dollars with for-profit prison companies to operate four private immigration detention centers in California. The move comes two weeks before a new state law is set to take effect, phasing out the use of private for-profit prisons, and immigration detention centers in California. The contracts cap a contentious two-month struggle between ICE and state leaders. California's congressional delegation, other lawmakers, and immigration advocates have slammed the agency for potentially violating federal procurement law in an attempt to lock in long-term contracts for the state's existing private detention centers before AB 32, Assembly Bill 32, barring such practices, takes effect in January. So you get this. The Trump administration is trying to, and in fact is well in the process of, importing the whole hideous practice of private for-profit prisons from the prison industrial complex to the uh, emerging immigrant detention complex. And California has passed a law barring this practice within its own borders. And the Trump administration is trying to, like, you know, seal in the contracts for these facilities before the law takes effect next month. So extremely sinister. And the horrors of what goes on in these facilities was just revealed once again by a big expose in USA Today of all places. Got to give creds where it's due. Headline. Deaths in custody, sexual violence, 
hunger strikes, what we uncovered inside ICE facilities across the U.S. This is um, dated December 20th. In other words, yesterday, from the perspective of the day that I am doing this podcast, a USA Today network investigation revealed sexual assaults, routine use of physical force, poor medical care, and deaths at facilities overseen by ICE. They actually gained entry to these facilities, which is uh, itself kind of impressive. They were actually able to uh, interview the people detained there. One wonders how long this kind of access is going to remain available, the way things are going in this country. More than 200 such uh, facilities around the country. Not sure how many of them are uh, run directly by ICE or how many of them are, uh, you know, contracted out to private for-profit entities. Here's a uh, brief excerpt from the report. Detainees say they are denied toothbrushes, toilet paper, and warm clothing in winter. Some say they have been forced to drink water that reeks of chlorine. Others allege that guards respond to peaceful protests with rubber bullets and tear gas, and that staff has cut off their recreation time, family visitations, and other basic services without explanation. Now, this whole system of detention centers has been coming together in this country, meeting all too little protest or even media coverage until such articles like this occasionally percolate up in the press. Uh, Yes, building on a... uh, system which already existed before Trump took office, absolutely, but it has certainly been massively expanded under the current administration. And uh, it seems that the conditions in them have dramatically worsened under the, uh, the current administration. Again, to read from the text of this article, for the past year, much of the nation's attention on immigration issues has focused on how the Trump administration polices the southern border and how Border Patrol agents treat migrants arriving there. But away from that spotlight, there is a separate detention system overseen by ICE that has continued to grow with far less scrutiny. It is now a $3 billion network of 221 facilities, the largest of which are operated by private companies under government contract. Combined, those facilities detain more than 50,000 men, women, and children who wait months or years for immigration court proceedings. So big kudos to uh, USA Today for running this uh, extremely lengthy and detailed and horrific story, trying to raise some awareness about this issue. And it's really, uh, it's quite terrifying that this whole um, detention system has been expanding at such a clip over the past couple of years with so little public awareness about it. And uh, what's really terrifying about it is that if you look at it in global context, is that it is a part of a, a worldwide trend where there's kind of a global detention state which is emerging. And uh, here I have to talk a little bit about terminology. And once again, the terminology is contested and controversial. I'm not going to touch on the controversies around the terminology. I'm just going to lay out the terms as I am using them. I'm using the word detention which refers most commonly in this country to migrants who are awaiting their court dates or awaiting deportation, and in many other countries around the world, to uh, you know mass internment, that is to say, people who have been deprived of their liberty in detention centers or detention camps without any kind of judicial process at all. As distinct from 
incarceration, which implies that there, you know, people are actually in a formal prison and that there has been some kind of, you know, judicial process which landed them there. Now, we all know about, you know, the prison industrial complex, and we all know that it is a completely oppressive institution. We all know that the United States uh, has got the uh, highest number of people behind bars of any country in the world, both proportionally and in absolute terms. That is to say, proportional to the population and, you know, the, the absolute flat number of people behind bars, which is an utter disgrace. And uh, that much of this is related to the war on drugs and very closely linked to institutionalized racism. And many of these people behind bars, certainly on any given day in the United States for something like, and I've done the math as near as I can figure out, something like 100,000 people are behind bars for the completely victimless crime of cannabis possession. So the incarceration state is horrific enough. Don't need to elaborate on that fact, hopefully. But now we are going into a detention state where there isn't even any, you know, as meaningless and ritualistic, you know, as, as, it, as it's become, there isn't even any kind of, you know, formalistic, uh, you know, uh, judicial process. And people are simply being detained without charge in many places around the world on the basis of their religion or ethnicity. And certainly there's a big element of that as well with the migrant detention system, which is emerging in this country, lubricated by Trump's racist propaganda against Mexicans and Latin Americans. Well, most of the migrants entering the country now are not from Mexico. They're coming through Mexico, but they're coming from points south, Central America and elsewhere around the world. Okay, just to mention it, because um, <laughs> everybody seems to have completely forgotten all about it, but an early precedent for this kind of thing was the establishment of the prison camp at Guantanamo Bay after uh, the 9-11 attacks. And shamefully practically completely forgotten by everybody except for the people in the Pentagon who are running it and, you know, a few, uh, you know, human rights observers around the world whose job it is to monitor this kind of thing. Guantanamo Bay is still functioning. The prison camp at Guantanamo Bay is still open after all of these years and continues to hold 40 detainees by uh, the last count who it looks like are going to be there indefinitely unless something changes which uh, you know is completely unanticipated there certainly isn't any move for the, for any kind of change to happen but um unless some kind of unanticipated change actually happens they're going to be there for the rest of their lives they're going to die there and these are people who for the most part have been cleared for transfer for years in other words not facing any kind of criminal charges whatsoever the Obama administration was at least making some kind of an effort to try to find third countries willing to take these individuals. And that appears to have been shut down by the Trump administration. And like I say, these 40 people seem to have been you know, completely forgotten by the rest of the world. Being detained without charge. Forget about conviction. Without charge. With, at the moment, zero prospects for their release. Now, amid all of this, it has been positively nauseating to see Donald Trump making a, uh, a big deal of his support for the Uyghurs 
who are the Turkic and Muslim ethnic minority of China, who are now facing the most massive program of mass detention that is taking place anywhere on the planet. And Trump's State Department has been issuing protests about this. Uyghur leaders have actually been hosted at the White House. Earlier this year, Trump actually met at the Oval Office with the daughter of the um, imprisoned Uyghur scholar, Ilam Toti. The Chinese state and its internment program has been particularly targeting, it began actually, as this kind of thing always does, <clears throat> with the uh, intellectuals, cultural leaders, political leaders of the Uyghur community before it began to spread to the population in general. And again, the Uyghurs facing this extremely desperate situation are forced to take their allies where they can find them. So it's hard for me to fault Juker Ilam, the daughter of the imprisoned Uyghur scholar Ilam Toti, for meeting with Trump at the Oval Office. But I hope <laughs> that she does not have any illusions about what Trump represents and the fact that he is exploiting the Uyghurs and exploiting the whole issue of the mass detention of the Uyghurs for his own political aims, which are related to the you know, U.S. imperial rivalry with China and have nothing to do with any actual commitment to human rights or human freedom, obviously. And over the same period of time that the mass detention system for uh, immigrants has been coming together in the United States, a far more ambitious mass detention center for Uyghurs and, it seems, other Muslim ethnic minorities in China has been coming together in the People's Republic. According to the rights groups that have been monitoring it, the same ones, I will point out, which are monitoring the U.S. abuses at Guantanamo Bay, Abu Ghraib, etc., Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, etc., are maintaining that perhaps more than a million, the high estimates are actually three million, but it seems that at least a million Uyghurs have now been detained in this massive system of what is, you know, euphemistically being called, uh, you know, re-education camps, mostly, although not entirely, out in Xinjiang in the far western region of China, which is the homeland of the Uyghur people. It is being portrayed by the Chinese authorities, very interestingly, <laughs> for the first several months after the claims emerged, the, uh, the Chinese authorities simply denied it. They said that these camps don't exist. And when it became clear from, you know, satellite evidence and so on, that in fact they do exist and they changed their line and they said, oh yeah, it's, uh, they're, they're just re-education programs, job training programs, et cetera, for um, people who, you know, it's an anti-terrorism measure for people who you know, are in uh, danger of being, you know, indoctrinated by, by jihadism, terrorism, et cetera, et cetera. They just, you know, changed their line, which certainly uh, does not smell very good. And it also appears that, I mean, come on, when you've got this many people who have been detained, we aren't just talking about hardened terrorists here. And apparently people are being detained for um, any kind of expression of Muslim or Islamic or even ethnic Uyghur identity. The reports of horrible human rights abuses going on in these camps, including forced sterilization of women. And again, it's all being done completely extrajudicially. The people who were detained in these camps have not been accused of any crime. No jury, no judge, 
no criminal charges. No, they don't even have juries in China exactly, but no, uh, no judicial process at all. It is simply a bureaucracy of arbitrary detention which has come together. And the truly terrifying thing about it is that the Chinese authorities are getting away with it. With only now, after something like a million people have been detained, you know, finally, the Western powers are getting around to some, you know, limited targeted sanctions against just the officials who are deemed to be responsible for overseeing this detention system, not even against China as a whole. And in fact, Trump, even as he's, you know, exploiting the Uyghurs for propaganda against China, is also sitting down with Xi Jinping's representatives to hash out a trade pact with China. Utterly disgraceful. And the fact that the Chinese authorities are getting away with it sets a precedent which will be emulated by other leaders around the world. And the uh, one country which um, seems to be now moving in a frighteningly similar direction is India. Right across the Himalayas from China. Earlier this year, the group Genocide Watch issued two warning alerts for India, one for Kashmir and the other for Assam, two states in northern India, with Muslims held to be at grave imminent risk of persecution and mass detention in both. Okay, first we're aware that the government of Narendra Modi uh, abrogated the constitutional autonomy of Kashmir earlier this year, sparking huge protests. Uh, and uh, since then, the entire state has been sealed off to the outside world. Very little media access. The Internet has been cut off. <clears throat> it's now, I believe, the longest shutdown of uh, the Internet in any, uh, in any region of the world ever. It's been like several months now. The Internet has been cut off to Kashmir. And many thousands have been detained. Then uh, in Assam, which is now uh, being rocked by protest over the, the new immigration law, which has been passed in India, the state government there has been carrying out a crackdown against migrants and refugees from neighboring Bangladesh or people who are perceived to be migrants or refugees from neighboring Bangladesh, many of whom have actually been living in India for generations. The state established a cutoff date of 1971, which was, of course, the, uh, the year of the terrible war in Bangladesh, the Independence War, in which uh, the Pakistani state committed terrible atrocities and sent many, many refugees, millions of refugees flooding into India. And under Assam government policy, if people who are believed to be of Bangladeshi origin, which basically means the state's Muslim minority, cannot prove that they were in the country before 1971, they will be considered aliens and detained. And the state authorities in Assam have apparently been, uh, you know, building a, uh, a massive detention camp system and preparing for a, um, a mass roundup of Assam's Muslim population under the pretext that they're all actually, quote-unquote, illegal aliens, <clears throat> to use an ugly phrase. So this kind of mass detention of the Muslim minority population, which is already well underway in China, now seems to be emulated by India, which is, by the way, even though, uh, you know, I believe the Hindus constitute a majority in India, there are so many people in India that um, 
it is nonetheless the country in the world with the largest Muslim population. And increasingly, Muslims are under threat in the Hindu nationalist India of Narendra Modi. And again, getting back to the theme of cynical propaganda exploitation of this kind of oppression when it's committed by, you know, the rival power with the utmost cynical hypocrisy. The Chinese foreign ministry has issued statements protesting the treatment of Muslims in India and particularly the repression in Kashmir since the crisis erupted there, even as it is engaging in mass detention of its own Muslim population. And similarly, the Indian government has been issuing its own hypocritical and cynical denunciations of China's mass internment of the Uyghurs, even as it is emulating that kind of thing within its own borders. Absolutely maddening. Okay, in a more um, direct emulation of China's mass detention of the Uyghurs, Vladimir Putin in Russia has now um, announced plans for a quote-unquote rehabilitation center, unquote, in the annexed Crimean Peninsula to re-educate, quote-unquote, Muslims who are considered to be under the influence of extremist ideology, quote-unquote. And this is obviously a, uh, a reference to the Crimean Tartars. Again, the Muslim and Turkic people of the Crimean Peninsula, just as the Uyghurs are the Muslim and Turkic people of Xinjiang. And the Crimean Tartars had their own autonomous regional government in the Crimea when it was under Ukrainian rule. And when the peninsula was illegally annexed by Russia in 2014, the Majlis, or the uh, autonomous parliament of the Crimean Tartars, was dissolved by the Russian authorities, and their autonomy was suspended, abrogated. So um, the Crimean Tartars, as you can imagine, are loath to be under Russian rule. And it should also be noted that uh, back uh, you know, under Stalin, the Crimean Tartars were forcibly relocated from the Crimean Peninsula en masse into Central Asia, hundreds of miles away at least, from their homeland, and were only allowed to return years later under Khrushchev. So now, in addition to having illegally annexed Crimea, and in addition to having abrogated the autonomy of the Crimean Tartars, Putin now appears to be planning for mass detention of the Crimean Tartars. And this is receiving practically no attention in the world media. I wrote it up on my website, Counter Vortex, Rehabilitation Center, quote-unquote, planned for Crimean Tartars, is the headline, relying on uh, mostly Russian sources, because it hasn't been reported in the Western media, disgracefully. Okay, so uh, Genocide Watch has issued warning alerts for India and China. I would say that there is already a genocide well underway in Syria, where certainly hundreds of thousands have been detained over the past years in those portions of the country, which is now almost all of the country, unfortunately controlled by the Bashar Assad dictatorship, where seemingly anybody suspected of disloyalty to the regime is detained. And it has become increasingly apparent that they are being systematically put to death. Something like 
according to the human rights group, something like 100,000 people have been killed in Assad's prisons over the past years. Way back in 2016, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights accused the Assad regime of the crime against humanity of extermination, quote unquote. Way back in 2016, three years ago, and this has continued unabated since then, and the world powers are increasingly accepting that the genocidal entity of the Bashar Assad regime is going to remain in power in any kind of <clears throat> peace deal, as we're calling it, which is going to be worked out for Syria. And with the encouragement of the international community, the displaced that are in camps, particularly the Rukan camp near the border with Jordan, which is under some degree of international protection, are being lured back into regime-controlled Syria to be reabsorbed into the general population. And apparently many of these people are being detained and are disappearing into this massive detention system where apparently mass extermination is taking place. Too hideous to even contemplate. And all happening with the acquiescence of the world's powers. Contrary to all the propaganda that you constantly hear about some kind of, you know, regime change conspiracy against the Assad regime, if only it were true. Okay, hopefully we're all aware of the absolutely horrific situation in Libya, which in part due to the lawlessness there has emerged into a, um, a key migration route for desperate people from Africa, the Arab world, etc., trying to get into Europe. And also, due to the lawlessness there, large areas of the country have come under the control of completely unaccountable paramilitary groups and militias and so on, some with some degree of nominal loyalty to the um, ostensible government of Libya to the extent which it exists, and it's really something of a fiction, many without. And in any event, these, uh, these militias are all running their own detention centers for intercepted migrants where conditions are utterly horrific. And of course, we're all aware of the the really chilling reports that have emerged that, you know, it's actually, you know, something of a slave trade, which is opened where detained migrants are literally being, you know, sold into forced labor or being held for ransom. And if they're already impoverished families, you know, back home in um, West Africa or wherever, are unable to, you know, cough up money for their freedom, then they can be tortured, brutalized, or again, merely, you know, exploited for forced labor. The detention centers, which are actually run by the Libyan government in the Tripoli area, which is really all that the Libyan so-called government actually controls, the immediate Tripoli area, the, the conditions there are not much better. And the United Nations Refugee Agency, UNHCR, has actually established its own facility in Tripoli, ostensibly to hold people who uh, wish to make a claim for, for asylum and transfer to a third country. And the conditions there are also rapidly deteriorating. It was built to hold a few hundred people. It now holds over a thousand. But conditions in the other detention centers in Libya are so bad that migrants are actually trying to make their way into the one which is run by the UN Refugee Agency and have actually, you know, sometimes been paying, you know, bribing the guards at one detention center run by 
by the Libyan government or by some lawless militia to actually transfer them into the uh, into the one run by the United Nations. And now the UN is trying to shut it down, and it's telling the people being housed there that uh, you know their asylum claims are not going to be processed unless they leave. And once they leave, they can be uh, detained once again and wind up in one of the even worse detention centers or try to make the perilous sea journey across the Mediterranean, try to make it to Sicily. But more and more, they're being intercepted by the Libyan Coast Guard, which is now receiving massive aid from the European Union to carry out this dirty work. And once they're, once they're intercepted, they're returned to land and can once again be detained in one of these truly horrific detention centers which are, which have been proliferating in Libya with with no often with no oversight by anybody at all just run by completely lawless paramilitary groups and militias and i could go on many such other examples around the world but obviously this is all part of a global trend and the more of it the authorities in china in india in russia in Syria, in Libya, in the United States, the more they get away with it, the easier it is for other governments to get away with it and to follow their example because a precedent has been set. A global detention state is emerging and recognizing that it is a global detention state which is emerging, a global system of mass detention which is emerging means that we absolutely have to repudiate and reject the, uh, you know, divide and conquer stratagems which are being employed by various governments to try to exploit the mass detention which is being carried out by, you know, their rivals, even while pursuing exactly the same policies within their own borders. We have to oppose mass detention on principle, utterly imperative. And just like I called out Donald Trump on his vile hypocrisy in exploiting the mass detention of the Uyghurs to score propaganda points against China, even as he's got, you know, his own mass detention system coming together in embryo here with, within the United States, just like I had to call out Narendra Modi and Xi Jinping for each respectively protesting the mass detention of Muslims in the other guy's country, but well, but not in their own. We're actually carrying it out within their own borders. Unfortunately, I also have to call out some of my <clears throat> comrades here on the American left who are being manipulated in this kind of cynical divide and rule stratagem. There is a piece which is currently making the rounds written by Sarah Flounders on the Workers' World website, entitled Behind the U.S. Anti-China Campaign, which is basically dismissing the accounts of mass internment of the Uyghurs as, uh, you know, a creation of, uh, of U.S. propaganda. And it actually cites an article from Another website by the name of Gray Zone, the website of the odious Max Blumenthal, an article written by Ben Norton over a year ago now, entitled, quote, No, the UN did not report that China has, quote, massive internment camps. 
for Uyghur Muslims. Now, first, it's cynical enough to be citing an article from over a year ago, given the massive evidence which has accrued in the months since then from testimony from the survivors of the camps who managed to get out and escape to other countries and from satellite data and so on. And I am not talking about, once again, I am not talking about claims from the U.S. State Department. I am talking about claims from Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, etc., the very same human rights groups which called out the U.S. atrocities at Guantanamo Bay and Abu Ghraib and Camp Buka and so on. But beyond that, the claims in this piece on Gray Zone, which was cited in this more recent piece, just came out this past week from Workers' World, the claims are distorted. They're not even accurate. Quoting from the piece, it read, the piece on Gray Zone, September 2018, Quote, media outlets from Reuters to The Intercept falsely claimed the U.N. had condemned China for holding a million Uyghurs in camps. The claim is based on unsourced allegations by two independent commission members, U.S.-funded outfits, and a shadowy opposition group, end quote. Now, this is an utterly dishonest claim. This is only narrowly correct in the sense that the claims were not actually, quote, reported by the U.N. The first U.N. figure to raise the alarm about this was Gay McDougall of the Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, who was raising the alarm about claims which were reported by others. Now, the Reuters headline in question was, U.N. says, quote, U.N. says it has credible reports that China holds million Uyghurs in secret camps. Now they're no longer secret. Now China has admitted to them. Back then, they were secret. Right away, that's a dishonesty of the workers' world story, the Sarah Flounder story, right there, why the the piece which, which she's citing from Gray Zone from over a year ago is out of date. But the Reuters headline at the time read, UN says it has credible reports that China holds million Uyghurs in secret camps. There's nothing inaccurate about that. It isn't saying that the UN reported that China holds a million Uyghurs in secret camps. It's saying that the UN has credible reports. And that's exactly what Gay McDougall of the Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination said, that her agency had received credible reports. They had in The Intercept, quote, one million Muslim Uyghurs have been detained by China, UN says, end quote, was technically not accurate. The U.N. at that time was not actually, quote-unquote, saying that. It was saying that it had received credible reports to that effect. The, quote-unquote, shadowy groups in question turned out to be Chinese human rights defenders. That's uh, actually the name of the group, proper name, Chinese human rights defenders. And the World Uyghur Congress, major body of the uh, Uyghur exile diaspora, So I'd love to know what exactly it is that makes them so shadowy. The piece in the gray zone also um, dismisses these groups as, quote-unquote, extreme right wing, end quote, which is a completely baseless and arbitrary accusation. And in fact, ironically, it is Xi Jinping's ethno-supremacist regime that is more deserving of that epithet. Okay, and what not quoted in this disgraceful propagandistic article from the Gray Zone 
was the actual text that was issued by the U.N. Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, which was, quote, the committee is alarmed by numerous reports of detention of large numbers of ethnic Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities held incommunicado and often for long periods without being charged or tried under the pretext of countering terrorism and religious extremism. The committee regrets that there is no official data on how many people are in long-term detention or who have been forced to spend varying periods in political re-education camps, quote-unquote, for even non-threatening expressions of Muslim ethno-religious culture, like daily greetings, such as Salam Aleikum, we can imagine. Estimates about them range from tens of thousands to upward of a million, end quote. That was from August 30th, from the UN Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, August 30th, 2018, not 2019, and the evidence has only mounted since then. Now, you can quibble about the numbers because nobody knows exactly how many people are being held. I don't know if it's a million. I don't know if it's for high-end estimates of three million, but certainly many, many hundreds of thousands of Uyghurs have been detained in Xinjiang over the past two years. And if you are going to make excuses for this or deny it or try to cover it up, you have zero legitimacy, zero moral standing to oppose the incipient mass detention system which is coming together here in the United States. You have no more moral legitimacy to oppose it than Donald Trump does to oppose the mass detention of the Uyghurs. So I was heartened that just yesterday, the group Rise and Resist here in New York City held a protest up at um, Grand Central Station. No raids, close the camps, abolish ICE was the demand of a silent protest they held during uh, rush hour up at Grand Central Station yesterday, that is to say, Friday, December 20th. And, uh, you know, I find it very heartening that, uh, you know, new groups such as um, Rise and Resist are coming together because it is long time that progressives here in New York City and the United States repudiate the leadership of groups such as Workers' World, which have had the chutzpah to hold their own rallies against Trump's detention system when they are avid supporters of regimes which are already committing mass detention on a scale far greater than what is underway in this country thus far and are actually escalating the genocide in places like China and Syria. So once again, it is urgently, urgently imperative that we get serious about building transnational solidarity at this extremely threatening moment with a global detention state coming together and repudiate divide and rule stratagems and oppose mass detention everywhere first and foremost in our own country because we're in our own country but to do so in a way which does not betray the Uyghurs and the hundreds of thousands of desaparecidos in Syria but in a way that advances some kind of solidarity with them. As always, everything that I have been ranting about on this podcast is online on my website. All facts are documented, countervortex.org. Check it out. Be in touch to let me know what you think. This has been the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. Join the Counter Vortex. Join the resistance. Rant on you next time.